O great God and Father, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, there is none like you, O Lord, who has shown such mercy to sinners and brought life out of that which was dead. Lord, we come to you because we know that in your presence is fullness of joy. Your word is life to us, and your table is the heavenly food come down for us in Christ. Yet as we come to you, Lord, as you taught us to do, we recognize and confess that we are sinners and that you are faithful to forgive and cleanse. We confess that our every delight was not found in knowing you and living for you this week, but instead we took delight in the fleshly desires and worldly lusts of our unrighteousness. We confess that our pride and selfishness blinded our eyes to the truth, and it came out in our thoughts, words, and deeds as a stumbling block to others seeing Christ in us. And we confess that we foolishly relied upon our own strength to overcome our weaknesses in the trials of the weak. Lord, in your mercy, forgive us, cleanse us, and turn our hearts to you in Selah. Lord, hear our prayer and let joy and gladness be restored to us again. For it was for our sins that Jesus went to the cross and died. It was our transgressions that he suffered and bled. Yet it was in his resurrection that we've been raised up to a new life and a new creation and a new relationship with you. Father, you've purchased for us and secured for us the entire forgiveness for our sins through your son's work. And we can confidently come near to you now. We give you all thanks and praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. God's word to us this morning begins in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of these who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them, and it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he recognized Uh, He was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst, but they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Our next passage will be 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we even found to be false witnesses of God, because we witness against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life also, we are of all men most to be pitied. Now if you would please turn to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together as a congregation Psalm 16. Psalm 16, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood 
I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Patient with the boldness of the shed blood of Christ into your holy room where seated is our Savior, our King, at your right hand. And we come now to hear your word. Bless us, transform us, make us new. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. People were first called Christians in Antioch. You remember that in connection with the stoning of Stephen, there arose a great persecution in Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul, who was not a believer at the time, participated in the, part, the persecution, and so the disciples went out from there, and they made their way to Antioch, and there they proclaimed first to Jewish people, and then secondly to uh, the Greek people, the message of the gospel, and it was as they were observed in Antioch that they were first called Christians. Words have meanings. Today, the word Christian is used lightly. People say, I am a Christian. When in fact, they do not believe in bodily resurrection. I assure you, the gospel spoken in Antioch proclaimed that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was bodily buried and dead, and that he rose again bodily the third day according to the scriptures. That's what Christian means. If you don't believe that, you can call yourself Christian, but you definitely are not Christian. First Corinthians chapter 15 is written to the church. It is not written to the lost. It is written by Paul to the church at Corinth because a problem arose. And the problem is this. Some were saying there is no resurrection. So Paul is going to talk about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The first 11 verses are a recounting of what they preached in Corinth, both he and other apostles, and what the people believed in Corinth, gaining the name Christian. But in the course of time, somehow, we don't know how, some began to say, there is no resurrection. Now, this does not mean they were saying that Christ did not rise from the dead. 
That is probably not the case. They probably believed that Christ rose from the dead. Instead, they were saying, as we know from the book of Timothy, as some were saying, the resurrection is past. In other words, there is no more resurrection. There's no resurrection. This is what Paul is going to dispute. And he's going to argue from his preaching and from the preaching of the other apostles, which the Corinthian people believed, that there must be resurrection. He is not going to defend it in the sense he's going to give a case for resurrection. Not in that sense. Not like you're talking to a lost person who's, you know, believes in science and there just can't be a resurrection. He's not going to defend it in that way. He's going to defend it based on what was preached. And so it's a message that only people who are accustomed to the Word of God can even understand. He is a little abrupt with the people, says things in a rather strong way at one point to the people. He says in chapter 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Who you guys been hanging around, he says. Become sober-minded as you ought, which means, let me retranslate it, wake up from your hangover. You know, well, maybe you don't know. If you've ever had a hangover, you know, you're kind of foggy at the other end. Wake up from your hangover and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. That is very strong words. You guys aren't thinking right. You're like you're you're drunk. You can't think. But someone will say to me, how are the dead raised? In other words, this is impossible. How could the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they come with? You moron, Paul says. It's strong language because it's a well-taught church. But when you hang around bad company, your thinking can go astray. And so he's going to argue a case for resurrection to those who believed in the resurrection of Jesus and now deny that there's resurrection, bodily resurrection. We read Luke chapter 24 because Jesus said, come, touch me, see the nail prints in my hand. See the wound in my side. See, watch me eat. Yeah, I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit floating out there. I am Jesus. So Paul's going to defend it in several different ways. It will take us two Sundays to do that. Hope you don't mind resurrection two Sundays in a row, but that's what we're going to get. The first way he's going to defend it is by logic. Logic. The second way he's going to defend it is by a festival of the Old Testament, first fruits. The third way he's going to defend it is by baptism. 
The fourth way he's going to defend it is by witnessing to wild beasts, endangering one's life. The next way he's going to defend it is by observing creation. Learn a lesson from creation. And finally, he will defend resurrection from the dead. Not specifically the resurrection of Jesus. They may believe that. He's going to defend resurrection from the dead by the Old Testament trumpet of Israel. It's a fascinating chapter. Absolutely fascinating. And uh, we could spend a lot longer than two Sundays on it. So if your Bible's not open, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, you know, it's the first part that we know the best. Because we say this is the gospel, which is exactly what Paul says. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you. The word gospel is euangelion. The word preached is euangeliajo. Well, that comes from two words. The little eu in English means good. The word angelos, you know what that means. It means angel. It's a word for messenger. It's a good message, and I gave you the good message, which also you received in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I evangelized to you, unless you believed in vain. So, just a couple of things. Then he's going to give this word. It's a word he preached to them. It's a word that they received. It's a word they're standing in. It's a word that's going to bring them ultimate salvation if they hold fast what was preached. If you let go of it, Paul's saying you're not going to be saved. Now, again, that's what he says. And I have to, I have to make a little caveat here lest you walk away saying Cray says you can lose your salvation. That is not what I'm saying. I am saying Paul says if you don't hold fast, you won't be saved. That's what Paul is saying. And then he says, he says, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Some people think believed in vain there means, uh, well, believed in vain is when you don't hold it fast. You, you, you started out looking like you believed, but it came out to be empty in vain. I don't think that's what it's saying. It's a word that uh, can be used that way. It's true. It could be that way. I don't think that's what he's saying, given the content of the chapter. Unless you believed in vain what he's saying, unless you believed something that wasn't true. You can believe in something that's not true, and you can believe it all you want. It won't do you a lick of good, and that's what he's saying. You hold this fast, and you will be saved. But if it's not true, which is somewhat of what they're claiming, there is no resurrection of the dead. If it's not true, it won't do you a lick of good. Now, here's the message. For I deliver to you that of what is foremost importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised 
on the third day according to the scriptures, which is where we stop, but it goes on, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, not meaning Judas, but just a name for the eleven that are left. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Remember the first appearance to the apostles on Sunday night, Resurrection Day, Thomas was absent. And last of all, as it were, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So there are four things that Paul is saying here. One, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Two, Christ was buried. He really was dead. He was in a tomb for three days, and with the kind of beating he took, even if you somehow entered somewhat alive, you would not make it through. He was dead. Third, he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And fourth, people witnessed it. They saw him. Now, I might just add on the aside, it's really interesting to me today how people want to go back and say, well, you know, this is just the fabrication of people. People wanted to believe he was alive, so they made this up to say, well, yeah, he really bodily arose. And, and we refuse to accept many people the witness of the people who saw him. Oh, yeah, yeah, I touched him, Thomas said. But we will go out on Google, and we will read the strangest stuff and believe it when we have no proof of it whatsoever. How is that possible? That's an implicit, if not explicit, warning. Social media is killing us. And it's not just killing unbelievers. It's killing Christians who believe all kinds of strange stuff. When there are all kinds of strange people out there who want to follow it. But here we have Scripture, and we have the apostles. And we have the ones Jesus commissioned. And they say, yes, we saw him. We watched him eat. We touched him. We hang around him. We hung around him for 40 days. He taught us. We watched him go up in bodily form, and he was received into the cloud. Not a white, fluffy cloud or a gray cloud. No, that's not what clouds are in the Bible. It's the glory cloud of God. That chariot which runs through the skies. Jesus was received there. So, Paul's telling us, here's what a Christian. One, a Christian believes Jesus paid for my sin. What does that mean? Well, Adam sinned, and we're his progeny, and we sin likewise. And Adam's payment for sin was death. The day you eat, you will die. Adam was cast out of the garden that way, that day. That was death. 
No longer did he have access to God. Dead. And then 930 years later, he died physically, taken off this earth, buried in a tomb, gone. No more praises, no more nothing, just dead in the ground. And that's what happens to all of us. But here comes Christ, who bears the penalty due to us, death. The difference is, he didn't stay dead. If he, if he didn't rise from the dead, there is no such thing as Christianity, as we're going to see. It just dies. There's nothing to it. It's empty. It has no meaning. It's worthless. It can do nothing for you if Jesus didn't rise. Because Jesus went to the cross to pay your sins and my sins. And the penalty was death. And he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to what sin requires and we might live to righteousness because by his wounds we're healed. He rose. What's a Christian? Well, a Christian is somebody who believes, you know, Jesus paid for my sin. And God accepted that payment, and the way I know it is he rose from the dead. Secondly, he says, a Christian is somebody who believes Jesus was buried. He didn't swoon. He didn't just wake up in the tomb. No, he was dead, buried dead. Just like if you stick somebody six feet under today, and you come back, you know, 72 hours later, they're not going to survive it. They're dead. So was Jesus dead. Thirdly, a Christian is somebody who believes that Jesus arose bodily. That's the only way death's, I mean, sin's penalty is taken care of. How do you know sin's penalty? Because Jesus, death couldn't keep him. God was satisfied through Jesus for you. He had to rise. It couldn't hold him. Fourthly, this is what a Christian believes. There are witnesses who really saw Jesus alive. Not somebody today who says, I had a vision of Jesus. Lots of people have visions of Jesus, so they say. I remember telling you one time I was counseling a lady, and she saw Jesus. He was all green standing at the foot of her bed. I don't know exactly what that meant, but I kind of disputed that. No. These men and women and one crowd of 500 people saw Jesus. And then here comes this other fellow who's got an untimely birth, not like the other apostles who were all gathered in one room to see Jesus, and he taught he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and in a couple of other occasions, Jesus came and showed himself to Paul, and so he also was commissioned to be an apostle because he saw the Jesus who died and who rose again. Now, look down at verse 9. Paul says, 
he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. What was Paul doing at the beginning of Acts? Throwing people in jail and looking for the death sentence against them and holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. All for it, he was a murderer. I'm not fit to be called an apostle. Remember, an apostle is somebody Jesus commissioned as one of the eyewitnesses who are to go spread the truth about his resurrection. That's what Acts is about. You will be my witnesses. Witnesses of what? Witnesses of his resurrection. Paul says, I'm not fit to be called one of those. Because what I was up to when Jesus came and showed himself to me was I was putting the church to death. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain, that is, empty. But I labored even more than all of them, the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, this word is the word heralded, we shouted it out like a news crier in town, so you believed. Now, just to show you how this passage holds together. Now drop down. It's no big drop in your Bible. It's a huge drop in my Bible. Down to verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Notice Paul labored more than the rest. The word more is abundantly. You work hard abundantly and know your labor's not in vain. So you come to the front of the book, Paul's giving, hey, there is resurrection and I work hard. And over here he's saying, hey, there is resurrection at the end of his proof, so labor hard bringing the two ends together, and Paul is saying, hey, people, be like me. Now, verses 12 through 19 is just absolutely fabulous. It should be in Logic 101 in college, because that's what it's about, logic. Logic is something, well, uh, how can I say it? In, in just a few more months, I will have finished 38 years and in 38 years, I have met all kinds of illogical people. You can show them logic like 2 plus 2 equals 4 in mathematics is simply logic. Logic and philosophy, or I should say mathematics and philosophy are the same thing. They're based on logic. And logic doesn't lie. A plus B equals C. You just can't get around it. And yet, people will give you all kinds of arguments that are illogical because they don't want to change. They will give you all kinds of arguments that are illogical because they hold to something they cannot defend. 
And I'm sad to say, it doesn't matter if you're a new Christian or an old Christian. We have the propensity that what we hold to must be the truth. And if somebody comes and points something out and shows us something different, we are quick to be illogical to defend our position. That's how these Corinthians were acting. So we get attached to our beliefs, and, well, we should. But all beliefs must be capable of being held out in front of your face, and you must be capable to defend them logically, or you don't have a basis to stand on. And faith is absolutely logical. It's not irrational. So Paul starts out with just a simple statement. Look at verse 12. Verses 12 through 19 are logic. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. Okay, this is what we preach. This is what you believe. This is what will save you if hold fast. Unless you believed in vain. Now, Christ is preached that he was raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, let me just show you illogic. They may be saying over, oh, yeah, yeah, Christ is raised from the dead. We believe that, sure enough. Over here, they're saying, hey, there's no resurrection of the dead. Now, you can see, that is just stupid. Because if there's no resurrection of the dead, then you can't say Christ was raised from the dead. You can't have it both ways. If Christ really was raised from the dead, then there absolutely is resurrection of the dead. That's what Christianity stands on. It doesn't stand on being a ghost throughout eternity, being a spirit throughout eternity, floating around out there somewhere for eternity. It doesn't stand on, oh, I can feel my relative near me, I can hear them talk. It doesn't stand on any of that. All of that is fallacious. It's baloney. It's a bunch of junk. No, what we stand on is, hey, you stick my body in the ground, and you know what? That's okay, because I will rise from the dead. Christ rose from the dead. There has to be, must be, logically, resurrection of the dead. That's what Paul is saying. Do you believe that? Yeah. It's why we can live risky. It's why we can go to countries where you can get your head chopped off for giving the gospel. Because why? We believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's how the Gospels come to us. Many a Christian went to the lion. Gladiators died. Many a Christian, even in the 21st century, are dying because they stand for the truth and a government says, no, we won't allow you to talk like that. Our government is pushing its way there I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime. But unfortunately, I'm pretty sure it will happen in my grandchildren's lifetime. Where it will be illegal to say 
If you don't believe in Jesus, you are going to hell. So, Paul says, verse 12, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, here's logic, not even Christ has been raised. Christianity demands Christ was raised. If there's no resurrection, Jesus wasn't raised, and Christianity is just a pitiful, pitiful religion. It has no truth. You can't believe anything of it because it all hinges on Christ raising bodily from the dead. Otherwise, the whole storyline, the whole meta-narrative of the Bible collapses in on itself and becomes nothing. Easter Sunday is fabulous. Of course, it's true every Sunday, but Easter Sunday is the one time all around the world, all kinds of Christians who believe Jesus died for my sins, Jesus rose again, proving God was satisfied, All kinds of them. We're all doing the same thing this Sunday. Talking about the resurrection of the dead. Oh, well, excuse me. We used to be in that one category that doesn't do that. You know, a certain group of people say, well, you know, Christ rose from the dead. It's true all the time. So we're not going to change what we do on Easter Sunday. We'll keep teaching the book of Ruth. We used to be like that. I used to be like that. (sighs) It's good to be free of such bondage. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. And the word vain here, there's two different words in this passage for vain, actually three. But this word means empty. We're going around and we're saying this is what happened, but it didn't happen. It's fallacious. It has nothing And you believed it, but the bottom line, it didn't really happen, so your faith accomplishes nothing. It's just empty. There are 3.5 billion people around the world who identify with Christianity. I do not mean by that that 3.5 billion believe. I don't know what the number is. But many of those 3.5 billion say they believe that Christ died for their sins and rose again the third day. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, they've been living just an empty, empty life. It's just not true. Paul said, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we witness, testify against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. One of the commandments is you shall not bear false witness. And Paul is saying, if Christ didn't raise, all the apostles have been walking around bearing false witness against God, saying God raised Jesus from the dead when, in fact, God did not raise Jesus from the dead. 
And when you bear false witness in a court of law, there's a large penalty for that. If you bear false witness under the Old Testament and you say this man did it and he should be killed, and you're proven to be a false witness, then you get what you wanted him to get. You get killed. What happens when you bear false witness against God? That must be much more severe than bearing false witness against a man. You say God did something and he didn't really do it, and you're saying, in the name of God, he raised Jesus from the dead, and in fact, he didn't raise Jesus from the dead. That's bearing false witness. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. So you come full circle. It's, it's just absolutely fascinating. It's just logic. If there's no resurrection, Christ wasn't raised. If there's no resurrection, our preaching is empty, your faith is empty. If there's no resurrection, we've been, false witness means we've been lying. We've been walking around lying about God. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. In this case, sometimes this is translated vain also, but th this means it's ineffective. It doesn't do anything. You are still in your sins. Now notice, Paul is not retracting what he's taught through all of his epistles, that man is dead in their trespasses and sins. Paul is not retracting when he's arguing that, that there really is a God, and he's not retracting the statement that men must pay the penalty of their sin. They will fall into judgment. And so what he's saying here is we said something false, you believe something false, and so the God who is true still holds you to your sin. You will be judged. Your faith won't help you. It's just logic. If there's no resurrection, Christ wasn't raised, and what we, were, what we thought we were called to be witnesses of, it's all wrong. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. This word perished is a word that's used often for eternal punishment. Its most basic meaning is they're ruined. So if you believe all through your Christian life, or your life, I should say, that this is what a Christian is, and you believe it, and you're just rock solid. Yeah, it's okay, I'll be buried one day, and then I'll rise from the dead, and pretty soon, you know, you find yourself under the ground. If you can find yourself under the ground, I don't know if you can do that. And you discover, whoa, I was wrong. Where's the help then? You lived your whole life, Believing in a man who was raised from the dead, who wasn't raised from the dead, and now you are ruined. And so Paul is saying, you know, those who follow your relatives, your husband, your wife, your kid, if this is all wrong, they are going to hell. You see, Paul's just arguing logically. 
not based on trying to make proofs for the resurrection, but based on the preaching. This is what we said. This is what we testified to. This is what you believed. And now you come up and say there's no resurrection. just can't be. Otherwise, it's all been wrong. Of course, there are a lot of people out there who today would say, yeah, that's true. It's all been wrong. And uh, church after church across this country is now defying the idea that there is resurrection of the dead. Oh, no, 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 no. They, they believe in some kind of mystical, ghostly, spiritual thing. You float in the sky and you'll be happy as a lark in heaven. But that's not what the Bible's teaching. They're not Christian. No, no. If there's no resurrection, as Paul's going to say later on, throw the towel in, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. You can't stop it. But there's nothing to do about it, so just have a good time while you can. And that's the philosophy. Get all you can while the getting's good, because afterwards you're just dead, and all the elements go back to the earth, and you're a nothing. That's what our country's coming to. And unfortunately, that's what the church is coming to. If we don't hold to resurrection. Then finally, verse 19, the end of the logic section. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only we are of all men most to be pitied well now that's what the lost people think of us all of those poor christians they got it all wrong and look they they live such moral lives and they're just you know nice people they raise pretty good kids everything's wonderful but what they don't really understand is it's doing nothing for them whereas <laughs> we on the other hand man we're living the life we do what we want to. We rape, pillage, murder, do whatever we want to, because after all, we know that when you're dead, you're just flat dead and there's nothing else to have. You see, Paul's talking to people who heard him, who listened to him say, yeah, I saw Christ. He was bodily raised from the dead. He's talking to people where Cephas came to Corinth and he taught there. And Peter said, yeah, yeah, I, I saw him on several occasions after he rose from the dead. And these people believed Peter and his witness and Paul and his witness and the other apostles and the witness. And they believed Christ rose from the dead and they're free from their sin. And somehow, we don't know how, but it comes by bad company. Parents, do you hear that? I've watched in 38 years kids allowed to hang around bad company. And what do you think becomes of it? No, Paul's telling the truth. Maybe adults can hang around bad company and uh, survive, but young people don't survive it. They go along with the bad company. That's why who you marry is so crucial. If you marry a bad one as a wife, you're going to become a bad one. But Paul's saying, oh, you know, if... If there's no resurrection of the dead, <laughs> yeah, the Epicureans were right. Just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Now, just, uh, you know, for an aside, this is worth all the price of the sermon today, right here. Ecclesiastes says the same thing. Except you eat and drink and be merry because God gives you the gift to do that. 
of your carrying sake. Eat, drink, and be merry because there's nothing out there for you. It's all over when you live it, so go for it. So you see, Christians can believe in the resurrection. And Christians do give up their lives for Christ. I mean, literally, thousands, hundreds of thousands. It said more, uh, more Christians were martyred in the 20th century than all the centuries before it combined. And you say, Craig, and you're a post-millennialist? Yeah, buddy, I am. And one day you will be too. Tongue-in-cheek. So, that's Paul's logic. Now, look down at verse 20, and uh, our time's about gone, so I'm just going to introduce it, and then we'll pick it up next week. So, resurrection might end up being three weeks. Not bad, is it? The third day resurrection, see? Three weeks. But now Christ has been raised from the dead First fruits of those who are asleep. Now, of course, let me just explain. This section in 22-28 is so absolutely crucial to the gospel, and this is the one thing that is forgotten in most evangelical circles today, verses 20 through 28. We use it for one good purpose, but not for all of its purpose. Because, you see, the gospel is not about getting into heaven. The gospel is about the kingdom. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Heaven is where you go when you die, but you're not going to be there forever. And all kinds of books are written about heaven, and my goodness, we so, know so very little about heaven. It's, it's incredible that people can put out lengthy books about heaven when we don't hardly know a thing about it. But what we do know something about is the earth. And the kingdom of God is an earthly kingdom, and it's going to be all over the earth, from sea to shining sea, from shore to shore. You know, it's, it's going to be everywhere. Well, it is everywhere. People just don't know it. And that's what verses 20 through 28 are about, about Jesus being raised and being the king and subduing all of his enemies. And that's why we believe Jesus died, so we can be a part of that kingdom and join in the work. And we join in the work by announcing the good news. Jesus is king. That's the good news. Now, he says, but Christ has been risen from the dead. Look at it, verse 20. But now, by the way, just, just remember, but now, you see that in Paul's writing, one of big changes taking place. Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. But now... You're dead in your trespasses and sins. But now, here, look, you're illogical and saying there's no resurrection. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, so the first fruits goes back to what happens at Passover. And Passover happens, and on the first day after Passover, Passover, the first fruit sheaf of barley is brought and it's offered and they pick it up and they wave it in the air 
because it's made to go up to God. But, you know, we can push all we want. We won't get it there, so it's symbolic. You wave it up there. And it's when Israel's in the land, the land God is giving them, so that they can enjoy the labor of their hands and eat and sit around their table with their wife who gives birth to children and with children who sit around the table as olive shoots because the Holy of Holies has olive doors going into it and the angels with outstretched wings are made of olives protecting holiness. And when kids are brought up right, they protect God's holiness. They're the doors leading into it. The littlest kids sitting around the table, they're not called thorns and thistles. They're called olive shoots. And Christ is the first fruits of that harvest. So they go into the land, and before they can eat anything on this day, they lift up and say, God, you gave all of this to us. Here's the taste of the best, the first, which means everything that, whoa, everything that follows is just the same. That's his argument. He's the first fruits, and we're the fruit to follow. And we come in two orders, Christ first, then the rest of us, all at once. Not in a resurrection before the rapture and another resurrection after the rapture and another resurrection after the millennium. No, here we see there's only one resurrection. One resurrection. When this resurrection happens, that's the end. It's over. The kingdom's done and the kingdom's handed over to the Father. But that's next week's lesson. Now, it was supposed to be this week's, but what can you do? Friends, Christ is risen. Amen. Let's stand. Oh, Father, give us logic. We didn't explore where Romans tells us that we gave away our logic. And Romans tells us again in chapter 12, this is your logical latrina, your logical service. We get our logic back as our minds are renewed and we prove what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. Give us our logic. Help us to rest in Scripture, which is thoroughly logical, and help us to defend what we believe logically and help us defend our practices by logic. And let us not be weak-minded and, uh, and, and so given to not expanding or exploring or thinking through what we feel and think. And we give up logic because we want to hold on to what we always held on to. We thank you that your truth never changes. We're the ones who need to change because we don't know all the truth yet because we're just finite people. And we thank you that the truth about the gospel never, never, never changes. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Not one scripture. The whole story of the Old Testament. When the first animals put to death and the skins clothed Adam and Eve. When Abraham put his son 
was going to put his son to death for his sins. And God intervened with a ram. When Noah came off the ark and offered all of the clean animals for sin. When the sacrifices were made for the cultists of Israel, all those sacrifices speak and are fulfilled in this one sacrifice. Christ died for our sins, and we thank you that you accepted that sacrifice. And we know it. We know it. We know it because death had no power over him. And now death has no power over us. We thank you. Christ is risen. Amen.